Hey guys, it's Jamie Scrimger here, second wife, stepmom of three, and mom of one. And you're listening to my podcast, where we talk about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. If you're ready for raw and real conversations and are striving to live your very best life, then you are in the right place. Every week, I'll provide you with tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Hello, hello. Welcome back. So guys, this week, I'm chatting with Brandy Wikely, and she is the host of the award-winning podcast, The New Family Podcast. She is also the former editor-in-chief for Canadian Family Magazine and has been an editor for Toronto Star and Today's Parent. Currently, she writes a column called Modern Family for the Toronto Star and is working on a book called... The Ex Next Door, How a Generation of Parents is Redefining Life After Divorce. I'm going to back that truck up for you for a second. Her book is called The Ex Next Door. So the idea for the new family and this book stems from her own experiences as part of a non-traditional family. She is amicably divorced and for eight years lived next door to the father of her children. Even after, and get this... He remarried to the boy's stepmom. Now, they don't live beside each other anymore, but they do live around the corner. So today, Brandy and I are diving into her story and how she and her ex went from married to neighbors. And we're also diving into the touchy subject of how to cope when your family remains close with the ex. I'm so excited to share Brandy's perspective with all of you, and I am so confident that no matter what your step-family dynamic looks like right now, you're going to have at least one aha moment after listening to this episode. Let's dive in. All right. Hello, Brandy. Hi, Jamie. So great to chat with you. Yeah, I am so excited that you're here. You know what? I was thinking this morning... What was it? I just it was a couple years ago. I was a guest on your podcast. I know. I I meant to look that up to see how how long ago that was, but it has to have been two, maybe even three years ago now. And that was a great conversation. No, I know. And you know what? It was so funny because when I when you invited me to be on your podcast, I had no idea anything about podcasts. I would have never ever thought that I would be hosting my own just a few years later. But I guess as we both know, you just never know where life is going to take you, right? That's right. And by the way, congratulations on on launching the show. It's great. Thanks. Yeah. No, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. We're getting some great guests on, obviously. Having you here is, uh, we're pretty uh, lucky to have that. And I'm so excited to just chat with you about all that you have going on and kind of get your take on some things because you have a pretty big community, a co-parenting community yourself on Facebook, correct? That's right. Yeah. A number of years ago, I started a Facebook group kind of um, adjacent to the work I do on my website, The New Family, which is all about many different forms of family. But I really saw this need that people had for maybe some positive stories around how people can get along together and manage and share the the parenting after a separation or divorce. And yeah, it's really grown to, I think, nearly 5,000 people now from all over the place. Yeah. And you know, I find that so refreshing that you say that because I found the same thing when I first became a stepmom and I kind of started talking about our experiences. There wasn't a lot of positive conversation going on about 
blended families or co-parenting and all of that, there is, it can get pretty negative on the internet. Completely. And I think you've really filled a need there because to have positive dialogue around blended families and around step parenting and and really uh, step parents need to find each other and lean on each other as they find their feet in in new and complex parenting situations. So yeah, the it's word stuff. Yeah, complex is the word. That's for sure. Now, before we dive in, can you just kind of give us the lowdown on you know your family and what you've got going on? Sure. So I've got two sons with um, their dad, Derek, Cameron, who's 15, and Alistair, who's 11. And their dad is has been remarried now for about five or six years, I think, to their stepmom, Amy. And for, for years and years, we lived next door to one another. So we kind of became known as these people who had these little bit of an unusual uh, co-parenting situation. So we've always been very much a part of each other's lives and had a real team approach to to co-parenting. And now my life has gotten, um, you know, has had the wonderful addition of my boyfriend, Ryan, and his two kids, Jack and Natalie, who are 11 and 8. And they don't live with us. Uh, they live in a, a suburb some distance from here, but we are kind of in the process of doing a little blending of our own through some shared times and some shared holidays and things like that. So the expansion of our family continues. That is so exciting. Now, I want to kind of backtrack. So how the heck did you end up living next door to each other? What did that... What did that look like? Because for so many people, like I know for me, I would definitely not want to do that. <laughs> that would definitely not be what I want to do for just for a lot of reasons. How did you get to the point where you decided, okay, you know what? We're not together anymore, but we're going to be next door neighbors. Well, there was a lot of luck involved, both in that it's a kind of relationship that we would want that. We re realized that it's not for everybody at all. For a lot of people, it would be too close for comfort, but I'll tell you where we were at at the time. So for the first year of our separation, Derek lived in the basement apartment of our house, like kind of a lot of people. It's not that easy to figure out where you're going to move on next. And we often hear about people having interim arrangements kind of like that. We were fortunate that the house that we owned together was in fact one that could accommodate us in this interim sort of way. But a year later, we both needed a more permanent situation, and, and Derek needed a, a living situation that was better than the basement, and we both needed just a little bit more space, but not too much, We were and we were really struggling with it. We knew we needed change, but we hated the idea of everything that that was going to do to our lives and the boys' lives. We were just really struggling. I should mention that they were very, very tiny, so a year on, they were only five, uh, six and two. So really very little. And we had been kind of getting by in that year by sort of trading off. It was sort of like, not quite like a bird nesting situation, but a little bit. So we'd maybe take our situation. I'd take myself out a lot on the nights that he was going to be in charge and vice versa. And we'd still do a lot of shared family activities on the weekend. Maybe we'd take the kids apple picking or something like that. And we'd divide and conquer. and We'd take them together to swimming lessons, all that kind of thing. So we were very much getting along, but we just had all this kind of anxiety around what the next step was going to look like. Even the idea of being a few blocks away, would I need another car? It's all that kind of thing. It felt complicated. Now, through a stroke of luck, the house next door to us had always been occupied by tenants. It was in three different apartments. 
right next door. And just when we were at a point where we were just at our wits end about what would, you know, just really feeling lost, I had just literally been out to tea with a girlfriend telling her about, oh gosh, we don't know where to go, where Derek should move next. And I was just beside myself. I rode my bicycle up the driveway and the landlord was showing the apartment to some people. And I said, oh, are you the, have the people in the basement moved out? And said, no, no, it's the two bedroom upstairs. And in that moment, I was just like, can I talk to you for a moment, please? And then within minutes, it was sorted out. Derek had seen the apartment and taken it. And we were just so relieved by this idea because it felt like, wow, for us, okay. We had, we were internalizing, unfortunately, like a lot of people, we were internalizing a ton of guilt about how the kids would fare. And we felt like, okay, we can be this kind of unconventional divorced people. We'll feel, we'll feel all right about that. I love it. And you know, on your website, you say you you refer to your relationship with him and saying you're amicably divorced. And a lot of people say the word amicable. It's, I think it's this very overused word when it comes to co-parenting and, and dealing with, you know, your previous spouse. Right. But you truly are amicable. Thank you. Yes. I, I guess I I think you're right. Perhaps people do use that word to say we're not tearing each other's throats out or we're not presently in court. Absolutely. Um, but I guess for us, it means that there's actually still a real basis of friendship there. We're, we were fortunate that neither of us really deeply resented the other from the end of the relationship. We were university sweethearts. You know, people grow up and in, in, in into different directions. And so we're lucky that we've. I can actually say that because we have a good relationship, it has actually really benefited us. This, we're, this is not something we're doing just we've done just because it's good for the kids. It's been very good for us. I mean, think of who's the one person that's going to want to hear the funny thing that your kids, your little kid said that day more than their other parent. There's nobody, you know, so true. And when you have a good enough relationship that you can lean on each other, like we are also now we're into the teen years with my 15 year old. When we're frustrated, we can go to each other uh, and be a sounding board to one another. But and then also it makes everything so simple when because it's not complicated who's going to be where for a birthday party or for Christmas holidays or any other special occasion because we're going to get to the auditorium for the spring concert and save each other's seats and it's not going to be awkward. So that's, I guess, what amicable means to us. Yeah, and I love that. And, you know, I think that's something that so many people strive for. Now, when he moved on and started a relationship, you said Amy with your boy's stepmom, did yeah. that, how, how did that complicate the dynamic? Because I know as a stepmom myself, I would be like, okay, what is going on here? Yeah, you have got to hand it to Amy because in order for her to be with Derek, Amy's originally from uh, Michigan, so she had to immigrate to Toronto. But she she had known Derek for a while and she knew his approach to co-parenting. She knew his dedication to being a parent. And I think it speaks volumes of her that she was willing to move into this situation and not be like, okay, I'll marry you, but only if we move somewhere a little further away. I mean, come on. 
So honestly, I have all the uh, gratitude in the world for her that she was open to that. And Derek came to me and said, what do you think about our relationship continuing after Amy moves uh, moves in? Our relationship next door, I mean, or this current living arrangement. And I thought it over and concluded that although there would be you know, new levels of finality that you realize when your partner, your former partner has moved on. And, you know, there would be little twinges of me noticing that they, that they were together or, you know, um, leaving for a weekend together or just stuff like that, that I'd be witnessing their early days of marriage. I decided that I think, and we all did that it was worth overcoming any of those little discomforts because what we got back from the arrangement in terms of continuity for the kids and ease for us, outweighed that stuff to us. Oh, yeah. that You know, and that is so big of you all. And I think that we all find ourselves in situations when we're co-parenting when you get that flood of emotions. So say, you know, you're seeing them leave on a weekend away or that you get you see something that kind of gives you that pit in your stomach or just something that kind of gives you that emotional reaction. How did you overcome that? Because I know there's so many stepmoms and so many people who are co-parenting who find themselves in those situations and those reactions overpower what they really want. Even they, they want to look at the big picture, but sometimes they just can't, they just can't get there. Right. I think that we benefited from the fact that we had already been separated slash divorced for quite a number of years before they made a permanent really arrangement together and made their relationship official and they got married and everything. I did have some moments adjusting to that because, gosh, it's funny how separation and divorce does surprise you. You think you're long recovered and then, wow, yeah, that's a whole other level of loss of innocence of us as those newlyweds when we were were fresh out of university that, wow, he's married somebody else. Um, I had a little of that to go through emotionally, internally, but I think I was able to deal with it with with friends and, and kind of lean on people for that. So it wasn't new. I think that was a really big part of it. I think when I see a lot of people struggling and and you know bringing up things that are that are hurting their hearts in the in the co-parenting group on Facebook, it's it's very often because they're just they really haven't been able to do the healing that is required. Like you do have to leave space for grieving the end of your relationship and and being kind to yourself and and doing work on yourself in order to be able to handle that. So it's not that I got off scot-free with none of that, but I think I definitely was at an advantage on a number of fronts. It had been quite a few years. I had a good community around me. And also Derek and Amy were very sensitive. They're very, very sensitive to me. They weren't, uh, they didn't make big shows of their relationship in terms of you know, lots of physical infection that happened in front of me. Just they're all we're all kind of subtle people about that kind of thing in terms of each other. I think sometimes it can be very hard when, say, somebody's new partner is posting 1000 pictures on Instagram of of how wonderful they are with their new blended family. Like that can be really hurtful. I know. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, come on. You know what I mean? You don't need to post 25 selfies of your weekend getaway, right? Why don't you just go on your weekend getaway? Because I think it's really important just to be cognizant of someone else's experience and someone else's feelings and where they're at in the process. Because everyone, when it comes to a relationship breaking up, two parties can experience it in two very different ways and take 
you know, different amounts of time to really work through. And the word that uses grief, and I, I couldn't agree more, that is you have to grieve the end of that relationship. And when it's in your face, that can make things a lot more difficult. Yeah, I really wish people would be more sensitive about that because you're absolutely right. People are very often at a different place than their former partner. You know, sometimes it's one person who's driving the end of the relationship and they have been internally killing themselves over the issue six months, a year, two years or more prior to really feeling to getting to a place where they've said, hey, I don't think I can go on in this relationship. So they've maybe done your their work a bit earlier. Some people don't do the work. They just plow forward with something. Maybe they are making slightly rash mistake to get into a permanent relationship again and move in kind of too quickly or whatever. That's their journey. I think also people struggle a little bit with the idea of, gosh, what's this going to do to my children if this relationship, which happened when they only met three months ago and now they're living together, you know, co-parents worry about that kind of thing too. But yeah, I do think that it goes a long way to be sensitive about these issues. And I, I know that Amy took a very a sensitive approach to being the new person in in my kid's life. And I never have ever felt like she was trying to replace me. In fact, I think like she's a little introverted. Um, if anything, Amy held back maybe more than she should. It would be one of those things where we would be at the, a soccer game or whatever, and she might literally be a little bit holding, you know, back a few more steps than me from the sidelines at soccer or baseball. And it took a little encouraging on my part for her to come join, come join us on the this blanket here or whatever. So, but I think that's a really sensitive place to take as a position to take as a step parent. Yeah, you for know, sure. You don't need to be on, on day one that you've gone to, a, you know, your future step kids uh, baseball game showing up with the cupcakes and kind of like... <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's really important to respect the role of the mom. Right. And I'm so cognizant about that in our own life. And also when I'm coaching stepmoms, it's, you know, you have to respect that even though she decided or they decided that the relationship was going to end, or even though maybe she didn't have any say in it, that didn't mean that she didn't want to spend that time with her kids. She didn't want her kids half the time. And she didn't really plan on sharing these motherly roles with another woman. And that takes some time to get to the place where you're emotionally okay for that. And I think it's so important for stepmoms to consider the mom's position all the time, even if they don't necessarily agree with it, just putting yourself in their shoes and looking at the world through, you know, the way that they may be experiencing it, it can go such a long way in a relationship. Totally. The empathy and just maturity. Like if you're new in somebody's life and you want to have a secure spot in in their lives, that's between you and your partner. It's not really for you to do this kind of performative thing in public or on social media with, aren't we great? Um, Aren't I important in this person's life? It's, you know, that's a, in some ways I look at it as a, a private matter for you to develop the security within that relationship that you're important. And it goes such a long way to be sensitive about the other person, particularly if they're on their own. They haven't yet found somebody, which is very often the case. I mean, how often is it that both people move on in exactly the same timeline? No. Not and that, that brings up a whole other stage of grief too, when you're ex-partner moves on and you haven't yet, there's a whole other process that happens there as well. It really does. And sometimes you go, gosh, is there something wrong with me? Am I kind of, you know, you can end up having your own baggage about that, about the fact that you haven't kind of found a permanent relationship or a long-term relationship. I mean, what, who, what's permanent these days, but, um, yeah, no kidding. 
But yeah, and you might be going through your own stuff with that. So when people can be very inclusive and they're very, even, you know, deferential at points, like what, you know, Amy would often say, okay, we've got a situation here where, because Amy works from home, she has to travel a bit from work for, um, for her work. But when she's in Toronto, she's working from home. So very often she can be a person who, if I am not in the neighborhood, I work downtown three days a week then she's the one that can go to school. It's so great. I I now look at the three-parent family as such a huge advantage. But even then, like she's really respectful. If it's got something to do with like a decision, she texts Derek and I kind of thing. Even though, of course, years have gone by now, we really trust her judgment and that sort of thing. And she has her own relationship with the kids. That would be the kind of approach she was taking, particularly early on. Like, what do you guys think I should do? Sort of thing. Yeah. And that goes a long way when you're developing your relationship with your stepchildren's mom is to really consider that you're not stepping on her toes, even though you may be always acting in the best interest of the kids. And it, it can be difficult when you're doing you know, you're doing the the nitty gritty of the parenting and running around and kind of playing that role when the kids are with you. I think it's always, always so important to just respect her as well. For sure. And I, you know, there's a, a lovely um, other parent in my life too, Ryan's former partner. And uh, I want to make sure that I'm really respectful of what she, you know, of her relationship, particularly with her daughter. Like I could go guns blaze I could have gone guns blazing in there with like oh look I'm constantly getting a pedicure with your daughter but I the first question that comes to my mind is has she is has Melanie already had a chance to do that with Natalie you know so anything that would be a first or whatever that's that's mom you know for sure uh, yeah I think that kind of thing helps you sometimes see people are sad they come home go oh my gosh my ex uh, partner got my daughter's ear ears pierced this weekend. I would have loved to have been a part of that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and that's so sad too. Yeah. I feel sad for the parents with that, but then on the flip side there's also the reality of the situation is that there are going to be things that you miss out on because there's only so many firsts too. So I think it's really about finding that balance while always having that underlying respect for the other parents and their experiences with their kids. Even if, you know, we're talking with you right now and you obviously have, you know, go back to the word amicable, a very amicable relationship that isn't quite it's not the norm and not a lot of people have this type of relationship, but all of this can be true for someone in a high conflict co-parenting relationship. You can absolutely be in a situation where say you are in court or say you are disagreeing about things with money or child support, whatever it is, and still be respectful of the role that the mom plays with her kids and vice versa. Completely. And we've seen some situations turn around. I know you have in your community and, and, and me and in mind as well, or sometimes people who are really in a difficult place with, with each other can, it might take years, but there's always hope uh, that you can get to a more amicable place. Like, let's say you were still disagreeing about child support or whatever. Like you said, you could still be respectful of the other parent or, or father. And you could also send a cute photo. You could send still send a cute photo to, to your ex-partner. Just like, I really believe in... You know, the small olive branch, I guess, is a good way of putting it. You know, if you invite that person, whether you're really there in your relationship or not, hey, we're going to hit, let's, I was thinking about this for the birthday party, or they're having their first big sleepover, feel free to drop by for the dessert that we're going to have, or something like that. These are just these little gestures you can make, even if the relationship is not really there yet, 
Because mm-hmm. one of these days, that person will say yes. Yeah. And even if it makes you extremely uncomfortable, at the end of the day, I think it's really important to think about the kids and, and lose the whole turf war mentality. Completely. Yes. Yes. This podcast is brought to you by my ebook, 101 Ways to Be a Kick-Ass Stepmom. From how to navigate your relationship with your husband's ex-wife, to how to stop feeling insecure about being the second wife, to what to say when your stepkids say, I don't have to listen to you, you're not my mom, to how to introduce an R's baby into your blended family crew, to how to minimize conflict even when the ex seems to thrive off it, to how to get on the same page with your husband about all the things, and so much more. This ebook shares my top 101 tips, strategies, and mindset shifts for stepmoms who are ready to live a kick-ass life. To check it out, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash ebook. And you know, the other pieces is when you're, when you're in those situations and you're having that conflict, it's entirely okay to table a conflict. So say you're having a discussion about, you know, you're in court about child support or you're in court about expenses or your, your schedule and something comes up with the kids. Say you need to deal, deal with something with the kids at school, table all the rest grow up and have the conversation about what's going on at school because that's what's important right now. It's really important to be able to kind of just put those segments in. 100%. That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because we have to be able to, some of those things are going to take months, maybe years to work out. But meantime, if you've had a call from the principal because there was a scrap in the in the in the yard at school you you need to be able to come together for that instead of you know pointing fingers well it must be the inadequate parenting that you're doing during your time or you know you've got to be able to kind of go into you know let's just handle this thing mode and i think tabling it asking a former partner can we just table our other thing and deal with this today that's good language to, to have in your back pocket. Yeah, and it goes a long way. So the one thing that I really was dying to talk to you about, so you wrote an article, How to Deal with Other People's Grief About the End of Your Relationship. And you posted it on your LinkedIn a few weeks back. Do you recall what I'm talking about that article? Yes, I do. Yes, I'm writing a little bit about relationship stuff in addition to the the work I do on the new family. I'm also writing about relationships for this new website called brighterside.ca. And that has a lot on co-parenting, separation, divorce, that sort of thing. Great. I can't yes, wait to read it. I, oh, great. Well, I'd love for you to check it out. Yes, I, I did feel that that was an important topic for us to, to take on because you don't necessarily expect that other people are going to go through their stuff related to your separation or divorce, but they do. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is a huge topic when it comes to co-parenting and moving on with a new relationship. Because a lot of the time, you know, you said in your article, when a separation occurs, a lot of relationships shift. And you're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, their relationship with their in-laws, their relationship with their, you know, nieces and nephews or, or good family friends. All of those relationships shift when there is a split. And a lot of times, you know, I even think about, say, what if our really good friends, what if they were to split? And we've Mm -hmm. had friends who have split. And there is almost like a grieving process with us over that because they're people that we would spend time together and have good memories with. And, you know, then they go to move on and have a new relationship. And I think that's where things get really complicated for people, especially extended family and friends, because there's those loyalty issues. You know, your friends split or your family members split. You still want to carry on that relationship. 
but yet it becomes tricky in all of those relationships. It's so interesting, but you're absolutely right. And when that new person comes along, that's what very often when we feel it the most, you know, I, I can even remember having a situation with my, my own mother who is awesome and who never brings her own agenda to stuff. Like she's just great about being a support. But I remember her having a like a little bit of misty eyes one time. This is, you know, years after my separation, but I had was dating someone. I'm no longer with this person, but it was the first, I, I guess it was the first person who would have met my mom and he was hanging around and his little son was hanging around with us too. And my mom, who doesn't live here all the, doesn't live here, so doesn't see the week by week progression, isn't here to witness exactly how moved on I'm feeling every, you know, on a week by week process, she had a little bit of misty eyes and, and she reluctantly, because she doesn't like to bring or complicate any stuff for us with her own thing. She reluctantly admitted that, yeah, I'm, I'm having a little bit of grief of the loss of my son-in-law. And I think people do that. They, they miss that person who had become somewhat like a child to them or like a brother or, or a good friend in that you hang out with as couples and your kids all get along, you know, those relationships are really precious to us, but it can be really hard if you're the person just holding it together and suddenly you're consoling your parent or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. So it's a bit, tri- it's a, it can be a bit tricky to, to navigate because there's an unhealthy level of people bringing you their stuff too, right? For sure. Uh, and when, when they're really making your life more difficult by saying, oh my gosh, how are the kids are going to, you know, be so damaged by this? You're like, thanks a lot, mom or dad. Yeah. You know, you're like, I'm uh, just trying my best here. Yeah. And I, luckily I don't have that in, in my, in my life at all, but I know people who do and they're bringing their baggage and they're actually, they're kind of uninformed research because back when they were divorced, you know, in the eighties, uh, they were reading child psychology at the time and they just, they had nothing but really negative stuff to go on. And ours were the first parents to get you know, that generation was the first to split and maybe in no, in the no, no fault divorce era. So there's still a very kind of angry vibe around divorce for sure. Very combative. And, and yeah, so sometimes people are bringing these opinions that are just, you know, not all that up to date. Absolutely. These assumptions, these kind of grand kind of applying my one personal experience to everybody in the world who's getting divorced and, and that's tough because you may want to be wanting to make your own way forward in a much more positive way. And some of your relatives might be kind of lagging behind or they don't understand or they say, well, geez, if you can get along to go to the apple farm, how come you're not still married? Well, anybody who, who I think really understands the nuances of relationships understands that you can be getting along on one level and then not meeting each other's needs emotionally. Right. So if you can come together as co-parents for Halloween and all these other things, great. That doesn't mean you have to keep justifying your decision. So that, I think, is also a thing that can confuse people. Yeah, it's about finding the mix of being supportive and trying to kind of encourage people to really think their decisions through while also not being supportive at all, right? I think there's kind of this fine balance there. And then to take it one step further, so conti- so I get a lot of stepmoms in my online group talk about how frustrating they find it when their mother-in-law or their sister-in-law is still continuing their relationship with the ex-wife. And that's, it's often in the high conflict situations where they're really struggling with that because they're saying, you know, she is causing so many issues for us legally, or this is what she's doing with the kids, or this is kind of the struggle that we're going through. And it almost feels like there's this, you know, they're not being loyal to you. And 
this inability for say the new person. So the stepmom to kind of forge that relationship and develop that relationship when she feels like she's still kind of competing with the first wife. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. finding your role in that. And that's something that I know so many people struggle with. Do you have any kind of insight onto how stepmoms can shift their mindset on that to, to deal with it? Because, you know, it would be difficult if your, you know, mother-in-law is continually going out for lunch with your husband's ex and you guys are in a high conflict situation. I, I can absolutely agree that that would be a really tricky place to navigate. Yeah, that would be tough for sure. You'd see those lunches as, gosh, she's going to continue to have a relationship with her first daughter-in-law. There isn't room for me. I'd like to think that when it comes to in-laws, let's keep each other if our relationship was good and ideally make room for everyone else in time. And I would just, I guess I would encourage stepmoms to not give up that they're not going to have a relationship with that mother-in-law also, maybe just to give it time. You know, it could also be that let's say that the mother-in-law is also a grandma because there's kids in there and she may see her her line, her access to her grandchildren as reliant upon continuing to have a relationship with her former daughter-in-law. It's it's a little bit too bad that there's no not language around like the people who used to be our in-laws. Like it's hard to <laughs> we don't have a word for it. But let's say you could make gestures to the the new in-laws, but trying to do so without, you know, a lot of baggage, just kind of put things out there, gestures out there, but hold yourself back a little bit so that you don't have everything riding on it. But perhaps those invitations to the the in-laws to come spend time when the kids are around so that they feel that, hey, you're, I'm going to be facilitating you having a relationship with your grandchildren, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be on the side of that. And I'm interested in meeting you where you're at. If you have this interest, I'm going to look into that and ask you about it or whatever. Perhaps find your your own way to connect with, with that person. I guess it just is a matter of, of time and not despairing that because you don't have the relationship now, you won't have it later. Yeah. And I do think it's important to realize that, you know, even though, say, you're experiencing this high conflict relationship or say your husband had whatever difficulties he did in his marriage that and you know led to the end of the marriage that wasn't necessarily their experience with her so that's his issue with her that's their relationship or that's your relationship and it may not it's not the lens that your in-laws or you know family and friends are looking through they have a whole different experience with them right and right. when it comes to blended families and co-parenting I will say it doesn't always bring out our shiniest qualities. There are times when you're interacting with the ex where maybe you're would say, mm, oh, I could have done that better. That wasn't, you know, my best day. But it's because we're all experiencing these emotions that we didn't really know existed. Right. And our, mm-hmm. our behaviors being changed because of that as you go on, you kind of start to process things and realize that that's not their experience. So just because you have that type of interaction based on the emotional experience that you have, doesn't mean that that's what the in-laws are experiencing. And I think it's important to, and as hard as it is, to respect that. Yeah, that's a really good perspective to keep on things because you may be having this this conflict or this difficulty around sharing the kids' time or something financial or other difficulties on this side. But um, these in-laws may have cultivated a relationship with their former daughter-in-law or son-in-law 
over years and years. And they may have certain commonalities and rituals and things that they used to do together. And they may want not want to lose that. Who knows? They may, although it may seem cut and dry to you that the loyalty should be toward their son, if that's who you're with as the stepmom, they may well be worrying for the other person. Let's say the relationship change wasn't her doing and, and they feel a little bad that the son has left his first wife. You never know what, what might be going through their minds. Yeah, there's so many different lenses to consider as always, right? It's all about, I think when it comes to co-parenting or any of these situations that we talk about, it really is all about empathy. That would be the common, the common strategy that I always am recommending. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot easier to picture yourself in someone else's shoes when you're not trying to advance your cause over somebody else's, when you're not in competition with them, when you're just trying to get in tune to their lived experience. And honestly, like kids can pick up on this stuff. Like they pick up on your, the, you know, disapproval of dad's new girlfriend or vice versa. If, if you're going to even say the subtlest negative things, they, they pick up on that. So it's really worth trying to stay open to each other and uh, to realizing that things will shift over time if you keep working on them. For sure. You know, it would be really good if we could lose the whole, we've put stepmoms and moms almost as if they are competing for a role. And Completely. it would be so great to have that change where you realize like a, there's the role of the stepmom and there's the role of the mom. And there can be both. There is room for everyone. And I think if you take that competitive nature out, we'd see a huge shift in so many different co-parenting dynamics. Completely. And I wonder if it would help for people to consider this. We, it's rarely only been, and I'm always on about this because I really like to take sort of the broad kind of anthropological look at the family. It's really only a short period in history where we've been trying to make do as a nuclear family. That is not enough adults per kid. I just, I really feel it is not. And a lot of other, a lot of scholars do as well. When you think about how we were uh, originally formed our groups, we, we were living in more likely, you might have 50 people in your extended group of, of relatives and our kids would be raised by aunties and uncles and, and older siblings and cousins and alongside us in greater community. And we're trying to make do. So if you can get to a place where you start to see these bonus parents as additional people who bring new love into your kids' lives, this is actually good news for all if you can make that shift. Absolutely. And you know, I know that I'm going to get reactions to this podcast. I'm going to get messages and they're going to say, well, you don't know our situation. It's high conflict or she's doing this or he's doing that. And I do get it. And I do know it is so hard for so many people. It is a, it's, it's not easy to navigate any of this. Completely. It, it really does come back to your mindset around it. And I think that really to be a successful I think you'd be successful in any role in these dynamics. You have to do a lot of work on yourself. It's a lot of self-talk. It's a lot of personal development. It's a lot of looking at the bigger picture. It's it's not easy. It's not at all. Yeah. And I don't want to sound Pollyanna about it because I, like I said, right at the beginning of this interview, I think that a great deal of luck factored into things for us. We have also worked on things. So I know that other sets of co-parents have more of an uphill for sure. For sure. If somebody's trying to, you know, I don't know, they're they're withholding child support to somebody who's been a stay-at-home mom for tw 20 years and they've put the other person in dire financial straits or vice versa or there's true abandonment and or or there's parental alienation like believe me, I know there are really complicating factors. 
I still think that there is is hope in most situations. A curious number of people accuse their exes of being narcissists. That is a diagnosis that is not that common. And yes. Oh my gosh. I do. I, sorry. I'm just like cracking up here because I do see that fly across my newsfeed. When did we all be able to identify, like, diagnose our ex-partners with personality disorders. Like I know is, completely. Yeah. And, and it's just wonderful that we have a little more vocabulary and awareness of, of, uh, of mental illness, but th- this stuff, this is not helpful. No, you know, there are a few cases where there's never going to be a relationship there, or maybe a person has really kind of abandoned their kids and it's not working with you where you really do need to adjust your expectations for what can happen in that relationship. But we are talking a little bit more about the middling situations where a lot of us have opportunity to make those a good relationship. Yeah. And it only, it just takes those little shifts in behaviors and those, you know, those small little gestures, like you're talking about sending that picture, even though you could be real pissed off at them right now, just send them the picture of the new haircut. And even if you don't get the same thing reciprocated to you, it really is all about being that bigger person, always thinking about what's best for the kids and really putting yourself in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. You got to offer it without expecting anything. And then just one day it may they incrementally those little photos and little other little olive branches may add up to something. I know it's so hard for a person when they're feeling like, oh God, they're being replaced really quickly by an ex-spouse and there's this new girlfriend on the scene and what's my role going to be like? But When I look at my life now, and it's hard to see that in the moment, of course, but when I look at my life now, my kids have a stepmom who has loads in common with them on the sports front. For instance, she's she's an avid sports fan. She can connect to them on that level. I still um, have, you know, a bunch of other ways that I connect with them. I'm their main source of physical affection and, and you know, uh, there's a level of conversations or so on that will go on and, and safety they have with me and the kind of care that I bring to them. They just, we bring different things. And along with their commonality that they have with Amy, who, who cares for them very deeply and, and I should say has been there for loads of school pickups and sports runs and, and, and makes them lovely dinners. She's also brought with them a set of cousins. Like they have these aunts and uncles through her and and these step cousins, you know, they might not be by birth, but these people love my kids too. And my kids, part of their life now is going down and to Michigan and, and cheering for Michigan state and going to tailgating parties. Like their, their horizons have expanded And I hope I can bring some of that stuff also to my future bonus kiddos. And I see my own boyfriend, Ryan, who's who's a high school teacher. He can bring help with school and um, there's a bonus right there. Yeah. So it's hard to imagine when we're stuck on that first dream we have. Um, yeah, for sure. Because none of us go down an aisle expecting to have to put two roofs over our heads at some point. No, I always say this was never in anyone's five-year plan. <sighs> yeah, so well oh, said. Great. Um, but we got to be able to update our fairy tale, right? So, so true. All right. So speaking of updating your fairy tale, so you have a podcast all about the modern day family. That's right. It's called the New Family Podcast. It's a spinoff from the site I launched a year before that, back in 2014, thenewfamily.com. And yeah, the New Family Podcast is, you know, all about kind of shining a light on the many forms that family takes today. We often touch on co-parenting, 
and also on issues as they pertain, parenting issues as they pertain to our times. Great. And it's an amazing podcast. And I'm going to link everything for everyone in the show description and over on my website. But thank you so much for coming on, Brandy. You know what? We have to do this again. It's a pleasure talking to you. Well, I think we're kindred spirits in our mission. And it's so nice to connect with you. And for sure, I'd love to have you also back again on, on my show sometime soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Brandy. Take care. Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast, give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week.